So this is uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16, the final chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And uh, so if you've been with us for the whole time, we started back in January uh, on this 1 Corinthians tour, took a little break around Easter, did the summer series on You Asked For It, which turned into me asking for it. Um, and uh, now we dipped back in to finish off 1 Corinthians before we begin 40 Days of Community, which will be coming up uh, after Thanksgiving in the Find the Hope Sunday. Um, so if you stuck with the whole thing, you've basically got an overview of 1 Corinthians. And um, you could spend four years in 1 Corinthians if you wanted to. We managed to spend around uh, six months, and that was pretty good. And this final chapter now uh, of our survey, which I will call it because you never, we, we just never have the chance to go deep enough when you're going sort of a chapter at a time by any stretch. Um, we want to read this last chapter together. It's not very long. And as I read it, I want you to follow along and be listening for the difference between these sort of final paragraphs of Paul's letter and his earlier writing. So you sort of remember the tone and his teaching and how he's sort of instructing. But in these last paragraphs, listen to how his tone changes and who his friends are and uh, what they are doing. And most importantly, see that we get a picture of the, of the early church in action. We kind of get a glimpse behind the curtain as to what is going on in ministry in the church uh, throughout Asia as Paul is on his missionary journeys and how the people worked together and they encouraged and they supported one another and they set aside their own preferences and they shared each other's burdens. And so in this, these final paragraphs, these are Christian brothers and sisters who are working together in the ministry of the gospel and they are working together understanding the profound importance of the gospel being preached and the time and the place in which they were placed to be able to accomplish a purpose that God called them to. And so as I'm reading, just consider all the names that Paul refers to, his brothers and sisters in ministry, consider the opportunity that's before them, the opposition they faced, and listen for Paul's encouragement to land on each of us in a similar way. Because I don't, I don't think Paul would write any differently today to the church. I, I think his encouragement would be the same. So these things should land on us the same way they land on the church in Corinth and uh, his fellow ministers who are with him in, in sort of his ministry team and how we are to minister in our time and place. And so it's 1 Corinthians 16. You can turn there in your Bibles, but I do have it up on the screen to follow along as well. And I'm reading NIV. Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, that would be Sunday, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost. Because a great door for effective work has opened to me. 
and there are many who oppose me. If Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should refuse to accept him. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. And he was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus was the first com- were the first converts in Achaia. And they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. I urge you, brothers, to submit to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunus, and Achaicus, sorry, Achaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla send you, greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Come, O Lord, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you. In Christ Jesus, amen. And so hopefully you picked up there sort of the difference in this last chapter, the difference in these final paragraphs of how Paul is speaking to the church to the brothers and sisters that he loves and about the brothers and sisters that he loves. He's speaking very warmly. And we're going to look at a few specific details in a moment, but hopefully you can see in that text that sort of core theme running through it, that there is an opportunity that Paul has. He says a wide door of opportunity is opened and that there is a team of brothers and sisters that he has working with him and also his expectation that the whole church would participate in encouraging and supporting that ministry. That's sort of the theme running through this. He's in a situation, there's an opportunity, he's all these ministers that are working as a team and the expectation that the church would support that and that all of this is meant to be powered by love for each other. It's seen in the imperative command of Paul that, you, that we love one another, that we do everything in love. But I think more significantly, the love comes through not so much in the imperative command, but just in the language of Paul and the way that the apostle is writing in such a loving way at the end of this letter. Like, did you get that? Did you get his care for the people? He loves them. And so I was trying to come up with a a picture of of this sort of thing that Paul is painting here, of, of, of many pieces of something all working together to accomplish something great, and all those pieces all put together and powered by a particular force. I was trying to think of something we'd have an example today as an, as an analogy. And so I thought, for example, of maybe a Cummins diesel engine. And uh, so this is a Cummins diesel. Okay, I thought this might connect with some people. And uh, if you take a Cummins diesel and you kind of explode it out, you get one of those diagram pictures uh, that shows you all the, all the pictures of a Cummins diesel engine when you kind of blow it out, all the pieces that have to work together in a diesel. It's made up of many parts. And, and all these pieces have to work together to produce the final result. And then the whole engine, you know, when you put that together and you drop it in a pickup truck, it's powered by this petrochemical diesel 
And, uh, you know, you get this uh, outburst of power from a Cummins diesel. I think it runs on about one snowy owl to the kilometer. Like, I think it, I think it runs on endangered species, actually. Um, some, <laughs> that's, not a, that's not a Cummins? I Googled for a Cummins, and that's not it, eh? Wow, I tried. Tried my hardest. You know, you get the point. So there's this dramatic power that comes when it's all working together. And uh, so, yeah, so aside from my, you know, endorsement of environmental contamination, uh, <laughs> this is a visual metaphor of effectual power. That's what I was looking at. And if, and if you're thinking of how I got from 1 Corinthians 16 to a tire-smoking pickup truck, well, we have to go back and take a look at the text more closely then. Um, the first thing to look at in the text that, that I want to get to is Paul's opportunity. So this is the first thing I'd like to lift out of the text here is to remember that Paul is writing from the city of Ephesus to Corinth. And uh, he's obviously someplace else when he's writing the letter. You don't write a letter to where you are. And the place that he is at when he's writing this is in Ephesus. And it's a city in modern-day Turkey. And it doesn't really matter too much. What matters is that in Ephesus, Paul says that there is a wide door of opportunity And even though he really wants to go to Corinth, and he doesn't just want to go to Corinth in passing, he wants to go and spend time with his friends. It's his desire to go to Corinth. He's not going to follow his desire and go to his friends in Corinth. He's not going to leave Ephesus until he and his team have finished their effective work. And it's in 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9 there. He says, I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened for me and there are many who oppose me. And if you wanted to make a little note in your Bibles there, uh, you could put in the margin Acts chapter 19. And if you go back to Acts chapter 19, you will have Luke's account. Um, and Luke is actually a person who's not mentioned here, but he's part of the team and he's following and with traveling with Paul and writing about the Acts of the Apostles. And he writes in Acts chapter 19 the stuff that's going on in Ephesus. And if you, were about, if you remember from Acts 19 or you remember Paul's time in Ephesus, what he's talking about here, the great door of opportunity and the opposition that's going on, you'll remember he spent three months reasoning in the synagogues. That's the opportunity. He's reasoning in the synagogues with them at Ephesus. And then there are the sons of Sceva, you remember, who witnessed Paul and he's casting out demons and working all these miracles. And so they go and they try and cast out some demons in the name of Jesus who Paul you know, the, who Paul's talking about, you remember this story maybe, and, and, and the demon-possessed people say, well, we, we know Paul and we know Jesus, but who are you? And then they like fall on them and beat them up and strip all their clothes off and kick them out into the street, and they're running through the street naked, uh, beat up by these demon-possessed people. So that all happens in, in Ephesus. And, uh, and then you remember the silversmith, Demetrius, he gets upset because so many people are coming to faith in Christ that he's not selling little silver gods anymore. And so he's losing business to Paul because people are going to church. They're not stopping to buy silver gods to take to the temple. And so could you imagine a church that is affecting a city so much that people are going out of business because people are going to church, you know, and and there's no there's no business for the bars and there's no business for the strip clubs and there's no business for any of these other things. And they're losing money because everybody's going to church. And so Demetrius gets upset and he, and he starts this riot against Paul. And you remember they're in the theater and they bring Paul in there and they're chanting for over two hours, you know, to um, the goddess uh, of Ephesus, uh, Diana. And uh, so there's this big riot. And so there's this huge opposition for Paul. And all this is going on in Ephesus as he's writing to Corinth. Okay, so that's, the, that's what's going on in that sentence. Paul's sort of unpacking 
uh, about a year of his ministry there of what's going on. And so in the, in the face of that opportunity in Ephesus where he's got this whole city in an uproar over the gospel and the opposition against him, we see sort of pe- peel back the veil of, of what's going on in terms of the relationships and the team and the ministry, the, the respect, the integrity, the self-sacrifice, the encouragement, and the network of support that was the character of the early church at this time. That's what I see in these last few paragraphs, that there was this great opportunity and Paul is, is working through his brothers and sisters and through his team and through the church to set aside his own preferences and to take advantage of this. And so out of this opportunity, we get to see the traits of the church at work, a glimpse into the inner workings of Paul's ministry. And the first one is just what I mentioned, setting aside the personal desire to focus on ministry. Despite the opposition, despite the riots, despite the threats to him personally, and he would be beaten, he'd be thrown in jail at various cities, despite the things that he faced, Paul sets aside his own desire in order to, that, that he would want to go to his friends in Corinth, and he sticks it out in Ephesus a while longer to see the church there properly planted. And he mentions the same thing of Apollos. He says, Apollos, you know, you go back. Go back to Corinth. You know, you, they loved you in Corinth. You got great friends there. And Apollos is like, no, I'm not going to go right now. I, I'm not going to leave right now. I'm going to wait until there's a better opportunity for me to go back to Corinth. And so both Paul and Apollos are both willing to set aside their own personal desires in order to minister. Secondly, just quickly, a team working together and not rivalry. The interesting thing that you can pick up here, or maybe don't remember, but remember right off the bat in 1 Corinthians 1, he, Paul is rebuking the church in Corinth. He's saying there's factions among you, and some of you are saying, I am of Paul and I am of Apollos, right? You remember that? And the church is divided over these personalities in the church. And here, in, this, in the face of ministry, we have a picture of a team working together, not rivalry. Paul is affirming Apollos right here. He's saying, Paul, Apollos is here with me in Ephesus working with me, and I'm encouraging him you know, to go back to you because you know, it would be great for Apollos to be back with you and stuff like that. And there's, there's no sense of rivalry here. Paul and Apollos are working together. And so when he's writing back to the church in Corinth, he's like, why are you, why are you guys dividing up over me and Apollos? You think Apollos and I aren't on the same team? You think we're preaching some sort of different gospel? We're a team together, not rivalry. And thirdly, the division of labor among the brethren. As you go through the text there, you know, all the names that he mentions, and then many like Luke, as I, as I talked about, that aren't mentioned that we know from other texts are part of the team. But he talks about Timothy, and he talks about Apollos, and he talks about the brothers, the, the sort of group of traveling people that, that are actually Timothy and Erastus. And you pick that up in Acts 19.22. When you go back to Ephesus, you see that it's Timothy and Erastus that he's sending to Corinth carrying this letter. And then Stephanus and Fortunus and Achaicus and Aquila and Priscilla. And so he mentions all these names. And there's this division of labor among the brethren that there are these teams traveling together and carrying letters and, and, and bringing funds for one ministry to fund another ministry and to care for people. And so as we read, these na- the, read this and we hear those names that Paul mentions, we're sort of left to wonder in the midst of our opportunity here in Halliburton, if Paul was writing a letter from his time in Halliburton to another city, would our names be in his letter? Would we be the people... Would we be the faithful brothers and sisters that Paul writes at the end of his letter as being grateful that we were present with him and working alongside him and refreshing him? Because, you know, there, there will be a letter written. It, it, it's, you know, I can safely say it's not going to become part of Scripture, <laughs> but there will be letters written. There will be communications about the things that go on in our ministry in Halliburton. 
right? There will be newspaper articles written or there will be letters sent home to mom from somebody. And in those letters, will we be named as the people that were part of that ministry? Will we be named as the people that were part of the support of what was going on to take advantage of the opportunity? He says here in verse 17, I was glad when Stephanus and, and Fortunus and Achaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you. And he doesn't mean that as a, as a rebuke on the Corinthians. He's saying, you can't be here with me. And so I was glad when they came because they, you know, my absence from you, they were able to encourage me and support me and build me up. And, and they supplied what, what I can't get from you because you're way over there in Corinth. And so I was glad when they arrived because they supplied what, what I couldn't get from you. And so as you look at those names and you read those names and you consider how the labor was divided among everybody and they were all participating in this opportunity, we need to ask ourselves whether, whether our names would be there, whether we want to be part of that faithful ministry team that is supporting and taking advantage of the wide door of opportunity. Fourthly, the supporting role of the church. The money that's raised in support is, is the first part of it and a, and a lot of Pastors probably would want to camp on those first few verses and maybe not get to the end, but I'm going to sort of glaze over those. Money's important. Paul is challenging the, court, the, the church in Corinth to compare well with other churches. He's not above a little rivalry. He says, you know, do as the Galatians do. Those guys over in Galatia, they raised a lot of money. You know, the thermometer's way up here. Corinth, you're kind of down here. You know, so he's not afraid of doing a little comparison uh, with other churches as far as supporting the ministry. He, he explains about gathering a collection on each Sunday. Set aside an amount as a portion of your income. If you had a good week, set aside a bunch. If you had a bad week, set aside a little bit. In a portion to your income, set it aside. You know, because because ministry takes money. Ministry takes uh, effort. And ministry takes supplies. You know, we don't get a discount when we buy paper. We don't get a discount when we buy a laptop or oil for the furnace. It shingles on the roof. It all costs the same for the church as it does for anybody else. And so Paul is saying, you know, we need money to make the ministry go forward. And so he urges them to to participate in that way, you know. And in terms of our opportunity here with finding the hope, you guys have supplied generously. You know, some of you have reminded me again last week that you still haven't got your money in, but the money's there. And the results are already starting to come in. So because the mail-out went a little bit early, but as some people have mentioned, you know, that's good because some of them are going away and people are getting it right when God wants them to get it. But the results are already coming in. Dwayne from the Finding the Hope office has already contacted me on Friday. He said they've already got three or four. I don't even know what the count's up to now, but they're, they're already getting people responding, looking for the book, and they're sending the book out to the people that are responding from the little card. So, the, so it's already starting to happen. So somebody's dollar that they gave is responsible for that response, right? And, and the next response is, is somebody else's dollar, and the next response is somebody else's dollar. And so people are giving into that opportunity to see that the ministry goes forward. But then going on from that, the urging in terms of the support of the role, the supporting role the church has to play, the urging that Paul gives to receive Timothy well. In other words, and he he says it several times, to make sure that Timothy is respected and make sure that he is well cared for. It's hard enough to do ministry without being shot at with friendly fire. And Paul is urging the church to respect and support the young men like Timothy that are part of his team despite his young age. Paul names him a son and a soldier beside him in the ministry. And the church is meant to encourage and not discourage its workers. And so in these final verses, you see Paul admonishing and encouraging and, and, and wanting the church to encourage Timothy and support him and and then to be subject to each other and to fellow laborers meaning each other and to be devoted to such people as Stephanus uh, who minister with Paul 
And Paul says to be subject to ourselves, to those who minister as leaders, but also to each other. And no one, he would say differently in Romans 12, he would say no one is to think more highly of himself than he ought, but to think of yourself with sober judgment. And so Paul says, respect Stephanus and his household. Respect Timothy and the work that he's doing. And not only that, but respect and encourage each other as fellow workers. That the, that the, in the face of this opportunity to do ministry, the church is to be supportive and encouraging. He says in verse 18 that they refreshed my spirit and yours also. To, to be refreshing and to recognize each other's contribution. He says such men deserve recognition. And so Paul has as a, as a thread running through this text this idea that the church is to support and encourage and build up and take care of the people that minister to the opportunities that the gospel of, of the gospel that's presented before them. And then thirdly, finally, that's sort of the traits of the church at work that you would set aside personal desire, that there would be a team working together, that there would be a division of labor amongst everybody, and that the whole church would be supporting this team that has this divided labor, but that the whole thing would be powered by love is the third point. So you consider Paul's admonition to wake up and stand firm and act like men and be strong. And, and we covered this verse, if you want to go back to Father's Day, covered it in detail on Father's Day, so I'm not going to dwell on it. But this admonition, in the midst of this sort of love letter at the end where Paul is speaking encouraging words to his team and to his church he puts this admonition in here it kind of stands out on its own and so you sort of wake up like he says (laughs) wake up stand firm act like men and be strong he's implying that the Corinthian church was in danger of being sleepy and wavering and timid and weak and so he's saying do all these things be alert be strong be firm and he's urging in how to do this how does this happen to do everything in love. A lot of what Paul had to write, if you go back and reflect on his letters, or if you reflect on the paragraphs before, the first, it wasn't chapters for Paul, but I'll speak in terms of chapters. If you, if you reflect on the first 15 chapters of 1 Corinthians, a lot of what Paul had to say, if you remember, basically had to do with the Corinthian church not being very loving and not being very firm in their, in their faith, not being very firm in holding to the doctrine that Paul left them with. Because you remember we had the bricks stacked up here, the foundation stones that Paul was trying to relay in terms of laying this foundation of what the Corinthian church should be. And so he was writing back to a church that was starting to waver off its foundation. It wasn't standing very firm. It wasn't being very strong. And it wasn't acting in very much love. You remember that as well. You know, remember there was factions that we we talked about right in the very first chapter. There was people engaged in all kinds of bad behavior that needed to be rebuked. There were people, you remember in chapter 6, there were people actually taking each other to court in the church and they were like hiring lawyers to sue each other within the church. And then you remember in 11 when he was talking about communion and he was talking about how people were coming in and just eating all the food and drinking all the wine to the point that they were drunk. And then if you showed up late, there there was nothing for you. So they were acting selfishly and not in love. And so Paul knows that he's writing to a church that probably needs to tweak the dial on the love meter up just a little bit because they weren't being all that loving and they weren't behaving all that strongly in the doctrines that Paul would have laid for them when he founded the church. And so his admonition here, his his imperative command is do everything in love. A lot of what Paul had to correct the Corinthian church on was on discord and selfishness and the lack of love. But if the door of opportunity is going to be taken advantage of, this is what Paul is saying, If all of this gospel ministry is going to work, then two things have to happen. 
do, right? It's do everything in love. So we have just that word, do. We have to do something. We have to act. If there is no doing, then nothing is getting done. And so the, the prayer meetings are a few faithful. The small group leaders don't have any people in the group. The door hangers don't get hung. You know, new people aren't greeted warmly. The gospel is not preached. There's all this division of labor. There's all these different things that have to be done in love, but it has to be done. At some point, you have to act. You have to do. And so what Paul is saying, do something. In fact, he says, do everything in love. And so the first part of this imperative command that Paul is giving for this opportunity to be taken advantage of is just do. Just do. Act. Get involved. And do something to take advantage of the opportunity. And then he says, but do it when you act. When you do, do it in love. Love each other. And you look at the, word that Paul, the words that Paul uses here and the, the warmth that's in his heart as I touched on at the beginning. He says, I want to spend time with you, not to make a passing visit. I don't just want to stop for a short time. I want to be with you and be with you for a long time because I love you. And then he talks about Aquila and Priscilla. And he says, they greet you warmly and the church that's in their house. They love you. They're your sisters and brother in Christ and they love you. And then he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. And then he ends it with my love to you all. And as you go through this text, there's this unmistakable picture that there is a deep heart of love for the body of Christ. From church to church and person to person, Paul loves his fellow workers and he loves to spend time with his Christian friends and he wants the whole team to work together in love, not in division, not in rivalry, but to act in love. And so we have to act and we have to act in love. And so for us today, we have a wide door of opportunity and we have adversaries and adversities. And so the time is now, Paul would be saying, to set aside our differences between Paul and Apollos or between you know, church or church or denomination and denomination. Set aside your preferences. Set aside your differences and consider why God has us in this place and this time. Are we a band of brothers and sisters who are giving sacrificially? Are we each playing our own part in making that ministry of the gospel work? In, in being able to take advantage of the wide door of opportunity that is here before us? You know, so whether it's hanging a door hanger or giving that $20 or being at the prayer meeting tonight, tonight at West Guilford, 7 o'clock, let's fill West Guilford. It only seats 100 people. Let's fill it with people who are prayer warriors for those booklets that are going out in the mail right now. Let's bless Pastor Brian by filling his church with people who love him and support him, support his church, and support this gospel ministry that's going place, going forth and taking place. Just, just show up and pray. There's people who will hang door hangers. If they don't want to pray, they'll hang door hangers. If people don't want to hang door hangers, they'll give money. There, there's something for you to do to take advantage of this opportunity and to do it in love. And we can do it. We can work together without rivalry. All the churches participating together. No one keeping score. No one counting the contribution or participation. No one keeping track of who goes to what church and how many people they got and how many people they got. Forget all of that. This is about the gospel going forth and the kingdom being proclaimed in Halliburton. This is not about rivalry. It's not about division. It's not about denominations. And what church can get into it and out of it and all of that thing. And so at, at the very real risk of sounding like a bad country song, Paul wants, Paul wants and I want, and God wants his church rumbling with power like a turbo diesel Cummins. Like I said, it would sound like a bad country song. 
Some of you are already writing it in your mind right now. God wants his church rumbling like a turbo diesel Cummins, powered with a passion for each other and the gospel. Right? He wants us fueled with love, on fire, wheels spinning, smoke out the back for the kingdom, for the gospel. Right? He doesn't want us parked in the driveway, on blocks, starting to rust out. He doesn't want us sitting in front of the TV, even though I know it's the NFL season and I love football. He doesn't want us watching football tonight. He wants us out praying for this ministry. He wants us, our hearts broken for the opportunity that's before us. He wants us encouraging the pastors and the other workers who are going to be there tonight to pray. He wants us uh, giving our money and our time and our effort to love one another through this so that we can face the opposition and take advantage of the opportunity. We have this wide door of opportunity. And God wants us to take it. He wants us to be a church like this one that Paul can depend on. The Apostle Paul could depend on these people to care for their ministry, to care for their church. Let's be that church. Let's pray. Father God, as we come into communion now, we just pray that we would take these words and uh, that we would sink them into our hearts and by your Holy Spirit you would engrave them there. That we would get a picture from this short chapter of Paul's heart for the church and his love for his brothers and sisters and the energy that went into that ministry team as they walked, they, they walked from city to city, hundreds and hundreds of kilometers among wild beasts and robbers and how they put their life on the line in front of riots in cities with whole cities gathered at the city center chanting opposition against them and they stood there to minister your gospel, how they reasoned day after day in the synagogue, how they would pour out their lives to see your kingdom advance. Father, infect our church, not just, I'm not talking about Lakeside, infect the church of Halliburton, infect the church of Canada, infect your church worldwide with this kind of passion and that it would all be done in love. Father, I just love, I just love the tone of Paul's writing here his deep care for his brothers and sisters, that they truly were a family that was ministering together and that they loved to see each other and they loved to send each other on their way and they loved to build each other up and, and give them a you know, pat on the back and, a, and just a, a sending on the way to go and do great ministry. Father, help us to be an encouraging church like that. Help us see that every one of us has a part to play, whether we're a you know, just a, a, a tiny piece, a spark plug or, or a fuel pump. Whatever we are, Lord, we're just a tiny piece of a big engine that you intend to take advantage of the opportunities that are around us. And we want to be on fire for you, Lord. We want to be that engine, not just sitting in the parking lot, rusting out, but taking advantage of the opportunity you've set before us. They don't come along every day. So help us do that in the weeks to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.